There was a little bit of everything the past seven days of Independent League Baseball, from mergers to franchise sales to rumored expansion to everything in between. Now I'm going to break it down all right here on the 34th episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. Alright, back again, episode number 34, another solo show, co-host is sick, so it's only going to be me here on what will be one of the uh, most jam-packed episodes we've had yet. For those that weren't paying attention or have been out of the loop for a little bit, we got a merger going down, we got two franchises being sold, we have two teams in independent league baseball rumored to be moving to affiliated baseball, and a couple of other little miscellaneous things as well. So it's a jam-packed show. We're going to jump right into it now with the merger. But I do want to warn people a little bit ahead of time here. I do have a bit of a cough. So uh, right there being a little bit of an example of it's going to be a bit of an up and down episode. And because it's the solo show, we're only going to be good for about 35 minutes. So we got about a half hour to cover a lot of stuff that we'll probably circle back around to next week. So we'll actually have a back and forth. But with that being said, we'll start now with the merger. Went through on Wednesday morning. We had been talking about this for a couple of weeks now. We knew there was going to be a rumored merger going down between the Frontier and the Can-Am League. And it finally happened on Wednesday. It was what we pretty much expected. Uh, no auto included in that. Two divisions, each kind of acting as their own uh, national and American League type setup there. Uh, so nothing terribly too surprising there. In that regard, 14 teams, two divisions. And you saw the video we put out uh, today while I'm recording this, but technically Saturday afternoon. Uh, it gives it kind of like a very preliminary breakdown of what we do know for fact in regards to the merger. Let's just kind of uh, break down more of the facts of it. It's been in talks for about two years now. On and off for those two years, it's been in talks. So essentially it's been going on or talking about this since 2017. Uh, real talks really started heating up in, in about uh, July around the All-Star game is when this really started to come together. And right around when Audubus Lease got terminated, they were kind of secluded from discussion. And this is going to happen whether Ottawa and Riverside were involved or not. Clearly, they're not involved right now. Uh, as there's only 14 teams and not 15 or 16. However, there will be 15 or 16 or 20 soon, but we'll get to that in just a moment. Everything was announced. It all came out pretty, pretty much like we expected to. We still do not know the age limit. It's rumored to be at 28. That is up one year from the 27-year age limit the Frontier League had. Obviously, this is all under the Frontier branding for those that are unaware of that. I kind of got to pressure uh, Talisler and Lee and anyone that's involved here with the Frontier League. You got to do better than that. 28 is way too low of an age. You need, you need it to be higher. There are too many guys in here that are 29, 30, 31, 32 in the Can-Am side of things where, man, it, it's not fair to them that now they're just kind of screwed because they decided to merge. I understand that the league was in, or at least from my understanding, the league wasn't in good financial shape. And so it would have been either another year on our own and then everything goes to hell or it would have been this. But still, to not give the players any sort of a heads up, just kind of leave them in the dark on this is not fair to them. Uh, for being realistic, a lot of these guys, they don't have the skill level to contend in an Atlantic League or in an American Association. 
and say, oh, well, they can easily get to that level is either overselling the player, being overly nice to their face to not insult them, or just being delusional. The Can-Am League was that bridge point between the Frontier and the American Association. They're always that kind of middle level. And without that being there now, uh, there is no real place for those guys. Uh, as we'll talk about later in the show, there may be a league coming to form that kind of a gap, or at least the potential for that may exist soon. But as it stands right now, these guys are just kind of left in the dark. You left them for dead, basically, and it, it's not fair to them. It's not right by them. I'm not saying that you have to, you know, make this age limit radically different. I'm not saying you have to set it at, like, 40. I'm not saying you have to get rid of it. I don't necessarily even say that you have to go by a standard age limit. You can have a years of service restrict, restriction for per team or per league. I know the Can-Am did something similar to that. I'm fine with that. I think what's a fair compromise is, say, 33 or 35. I think that's a good age limit there. I mean, you're not going to have that many guys approaching that. You'll have enough 29, 30-year-old guys. You're still going to get a lot of expats from the Atlantic League because now with this merger, you have that potential. It's a 14-team league. It's the largest in independent league baseball. You go from essentially in the middle of the country to the East Coast, the most populated section of the country right there. And there's a lot of potential there. You have the New York market. You have Quebec. So you have Montreal. You have Quebec City. You have a team in the Chicago area. You have a team in the Pittsburgh area. You have teams scattered throughout. You have a lot of nice, smaller, supplemental markets along with solid overall markets, these large mega markets, such as the Chicago and the New York. And so you're wasting that potential and you're doing wrong with these players by not at least bumping that age limit up a bit. Because I know personally, I've heard several players that are in the Atlantic League that have already said, we're not back in, 20, in 2020, we want nothing to do with these rule changes. And if they go through with that mound deal, I guarantee you even more pitchers are going to be leaving. I guarantee you even more pl- position players will be leaving. Because if they move the mound back, there is nothing sacred anymore in the Atlantic League, which already they don't really have full control on that. But that's the Atlantic League is a whole other discussion for a whole other day. Back to the merger itself specifically, though, to to do this to the players, I think it's extremely unfair. I really do. I implore the powers that be. You know, I know uh, Stanley from uh, Evansville. I believe Bussing is the other guy from Evansville. Rich uh, Saget, I believe it is, or Sago, the president of the league. He's also the owner of Gateway. I know all you guys have a lot of say in this, and I know you guys, right now, you do have the Atlantic League back into a corner, not the Atlantic League, you have the Can-Am League back into the corner. They're going to have to, at the end of the day, agree to whatever you say. You are in too deep at this point to break it off, and if you break it off, both leagues are going to suffer terribly for it, from it as the Can-Am League, as a brand, has been certifiably dead. They're going to agree to whatever terms you want, regardless of whether or not it's fair or done right by the players. They don't really have that luxury at the moment. So while I do put some blame on the, on the Can-Am side, they get a bit more leniency in my mind as they didn't really get much of a say in the matter. Their choices were either die or survive, and when you're given those choices, you were going to always choose to survive. Now, sure, there are other things they could have done up to this point. There are other things they could have done in this merger to secure something for these players, but you have to do something right by them. I forget whom it was on uh, 
on Twitter, but one of her followers that's very active, one of the minor fans, suggested that, oh, well, maybe you could grandfather some of these guys in, which mm, I personally like that suggestion if you're going to keep this 28 age limit. Uh, one of the problems with that is going to be, though, you're going to have this Can-Am division that's going to be lopsided. I understand that during the All-Star game, you definitely saw like class difference and to say, well, the older players are going to be better because they're more, they're older and more experienced isn't a fair statement. And what really is the difference between a team of 24 through 27 year olds and a team of 24 through 32 year olds? There is some differences. There are going to be certain 32 year old guys that are going to be better. I can understand if you said, you know, grandfather these guys in that were here last year. If they played in the Can-Am last year, they can go to, you know, the course, the team they played for last in the, uh, in the Can-Am and they're allowed to sign there. And if they are released, then they're just kind of done. That's it. You can't bring them back and do it like that. I can see that. I think that may be a fairer solution. I don't, I still don't like it. I think it's still putting the players in a very bad position. I think you're really leaving them out to dry. And I wouldn't be going to bat for them as much right now. If it wasn't for all the guys that I had telling me, you know, I'm concerned about this, we already don't get a lot as it is, and that's true. I mean, what are they making? Maybe a grand a month? From middle of May to Labor Day weekend, you walk away with maybe maybe 10 grand for the most for some of these guys. That's not much at all. I mean, that's less than a minimum wage job just to chase the dream to get the opportunity to get paid the same amount of money in an affiliated system where you're probably going to age out in a year or two. But for a couple of guys, they're going to manage to work their way up to that AAA level where now they're at least going to get a real salary. And then they'll maybe get the shot in September or if an injury pops up, you know, or through some other means to get the shot at the big league club and to get a chance at the dream. So already in that they're being sold on a dream and this is their last chance, which is, we've said this before, it's kind of the last chance you of baseball at the independent leagues. Already they're not living the high life. They're living in... You have people taking them in. They're living with host families, basically. Paycheck to paycheck, as it were, when they're not at the host families. They're not really getting to live the high life here. For the most part, these are just average guys, nice guys. They're not these, you know, mega stars. They're not making the $100,000 minimum. These guys are making, like I said, they're making, like, part-time seasonal money. You'd make more money being a cashier at the shop, right, than you would playing for one of these teams, really. There's not terribly many benefits to it outside of you're going to get game tape, you're going to get reps, you're going to have scouts' eyes on you, you're going to be playing baseball, which is the end goal for all these guys is to be playing baseball at a higher level. While I spend so much time on this, I really think it's kind of worth it to just go go to bat for them here and say this 28 age limit really does pose a problem for a lot of these guys. Because a lot of these guys, they they're and where they're at right now does not qualify them to be at that AA or ALP. ALPB level. They're in that middle zone. They need this team. And it's not fair to them to just be screwed over like this. I, Like I said, I think the grandfathering rule I saw on Twitter, I apologize, I don't have your name in front of me right now, but go ahead and properly credit you in one of the uh, tweet storms that come after this. I'll put it underneath and I'll leave it in the show notes as well. I'll make a note of to do that. But I think the grandfathering is one option. I think raising the limit is the easiest one to 30 or 33 and then dropping it back down and say a couple of years. You build it in so for the 2020 
in campaign, the age limit is going to be, say, 34, and then every year it drops down a year until you get to the 28 number. I think that'd be perfectly fair. I think it gives the guys that, you know, were already in the league and now are kind of blindsided by this enough time where they're either going to be, either they would have cycled through naturally one way or the other anyway, or they will have moved on from either the game or moved on from independent league baseball. And then anyone that signed after that, they know what the, they will have known what the rules were getting into it. They will have known what the game was by the time they signed up. So there's a lot less sympathy on that front. You knew the rules before you came in. Right now, it just feels like the rug's been ripped down from underneath them, and it's not fair there. That, or I think just giving them more roster exemptions. You want to set the thing at 28, that's fine, but then supply, like, say, three batters and three pitchers that are allowed to, to be above that. I think that's perfectly fair and perfectly fine. I don't see why you can't give them more exemptions. And this is just on the side of being fair to the players. This isn't even on the potential where you could grab guys that want nothing to do with the Atlantic League anymore. Or guys that didn't make it to a uh, to an American Association roster. I mean, think of it like this. If you have guys like, say, David Kubiak and Rick Teasley and Mike Antonini, and I, don't, I mean, take your pick of guys. I picked the Somerset guys because, well, it wouldn't be an episode if we didn't mention Somerset. But pick any of those guys. Obviously, those guys' goal is to get back into affiliated baseball, for some of them to get back to Major League Baseball. And they're not going to do that by stupid rules. They're going to do that by playing normal baseball in the system that's going to mirror the affiliated minor league system. You could be gramping those guys. You don't even have to pay them as much as the Atlantic League. You know, all you have to do is make it competitive and give them the real rules again. There's just so much potential there, and it, it just is a, such a waste of potential and a waste of time to be doing this, and it, it's just really unfair. I'm going to get back to the actual talk of the merger now because I've rattled on about this for about 5-10 minutes now, but like I said, I think it's a worthwhile detour because the players really are, it's really not fair to them. Other terms in this merger, though, there's plans for expansion already. This is something that I've been fairly vocal about on social media, people saying, do you think they're going to expand? And my thought was, well, they're already at 14, that's already a lot more than everybody else's. I don't really see that being a logical move. Why would you expand right off the bat? Go ahead, settle everything down, make sure all your markets are good, identify any markets that could be problematic. I mean, we do know that in Canada, Toyota or Toyota they're not always the most financially stable. Just got a new pressing in there, they got some new corporate money going into there, so that's very good for them. The miners are always kind of towards the bottom, the jackals have always been kind of towards the bottom. Uh, at least in the last few years. Uh, Rockland's always been shifty. They've always been having their eye on moving to the Atlantic League, which if you let the older players come and play in this league and you steal those Atlantic League guys, you could basically make a new Atlantic League called the Frontier League that's been around for, I believe, longer. Yeah, the Frontier League's been around since 93. I don't think the Atlantic League came around till 96 or 97. So you'd be longer than them, you'd have the same pedigree, you'd have a lot more established brains there, you could be challenging them on numerous levels and keep Rockland, so you keep your New York market, which is huge to do. And overall, it would make so much sense, but they're not doing that. Anywho, it just, you have a lot of shifting markets since it is. I'm not really sure what the original Frontier League teams 
what's the deal with them? Who's in good shape? Who's not in good shape? I know Schlumberg is currently uh, in the process of transferring their stadium over to publicly owned. Typically speaking, that never really ends in the, uh, the owners doing well financially. Normally that means uh, the owner can't afford the stadium, so I'll give it to the public and then just lease it back to myself type deal. And it's just a bit surprising to me that you wouldn't at least wait some time before immediately announcing expansion, but you had Dorso come right up there and go, I think everybody, in, I mean, you saw the quote from the video, if you watch the video, which is like 90 seconds long, he said, I think everyone should know about this, and come 2021, we're going to be a 20-team league. I mean, that, there's no wasting time there. The press conference is 20 minutes old, and you're already saying, yeah, we're going to be expanding to another six markets in the next two years. Now, Ottawa was rumored to be one for 2021, however, that sale went through, and that'll be the next thing we talk about in just a moment. They were rumored to be jumping over. However, a group of three guys that bought it, from which apparently one of now the uh, majority owners is following us on Instagram. Hi, Lavoie. And I do stand by my statement. This does seem like three drunk guys in a bar going, we should buy a baseball team, and then just saying, screw it, and doing it. As uh listen to the interview that was done with uh, CBC, where they were talking to Lavoie, and it sounds like they have a general semblance of plan. It doesn't sound terribly sound. I hope to be proven wrong. I hope baseball and Ottawa can work, and I hope you get the least done. However, it seems like Jim Watson is the only guy near the city government of Ottawa that even remotely wants this team here. I have my reasonable doubts that we're going to see a least done. I have reasonable doubts. There's going to be baseball in Ottawa in 2020, and I have even more reasonable doubt that the Frontier League is going to get a team if the champions are around. I kind of feel on this. The Frontier League was basically going to Wolf. We'll get into this all in detail in a minute. Uh, Wolf says this doesn't happen. He said it was basically a, uh, a you don't have a lease, get out, of the, get out of the room where the deal's being done. And he felt kind of spurned by it from what I could gather from his, uh, from a little bit of, uh, an interview I heard and from what I was reading comment-wise, I almost had the feeling it was, you don't have a lease agreement, go solve your issue, then we'll discuss bringing you back into the fold. But we're not talking about you in 2020, there's too many problems. And I think in the Frontier League's mind was, this is going to be fine, we'll let Ottawa figure out their deal for 2020, they'll get an owner, they'll put together a whole program, they'll take a year, and then they'll come back in 2021 New league, we'll have a nice marketplace, we'll have that kind of Toronto-ish market. I mean, Ottawa's basically a crossroads between Montreal and Toronto. That's why it's the capital. And so you'll kind of get those two markets, it'll be real nice. We'll dump them over in the uh, Can-Am side of things. We'll toss the team on the other side, we'll be nice and good. That's not going to happen, let's be clear on this much. That city government, if they don't come up with a deal for the champions, they're not going to let another team come in in 2021 into that ballpark. It's either the champions today, an affiliated team goes there, or that ballpark is torn down and replaced with something else, which we've seen a decent amount of support for them, but we've also seen equally as much support and just building a new ballpark, you know, for in uh, Gant No Hull and tearing that thing down and putting anything else there because it's a terrible location and the rail line hasn't been working since day one. But that's just one location. Uh, there's obviously a dozen other ones 
I'll keep working on the article that I was saying was going to come out this week, but then all this craziness happened, so it got delayed. Now it should be out next week, at least hopefully next week, unless uh, we get another crazy week. But that article is going to be all on potential expansion locations. So that's what that is. So we're apparently going to get six new teams within the next two years into the Frontier League. I don't buy it, but you never know what can happen there. More in other news on this merger. There'll be a 96-game schedule, no international teams, so the Cuban, Dominican, and uh, Chicago Island teams will not be back, unfortunately, if you did enjoy watching them. There will be 96 games, like I mentioned, uh, May through Labor Day, so basically the same format as the Can-Am League used, so figure around May 13th, May 14th, 15th, right in that general range. You'll see opening day for most teams, and then they'll run right through Labor Day weekend. Playoffs will probably be... Not Labor Day or the 4th, but probably start on the 5th. So 4 or 5, depending on if they give the, that Labor Day weekend off or what it may be. However, that works out. It's normally a season ends day off for travel and then playoffs start. Probably will keep the same format there. Then you will see a best of five series between the top two teams in the division. And then you will go from there and see uh, a championship series. For example, this year... I believe you would have saw River City and Evansville play each other. And then you would have seen the uh, the Agas and the Miners play each other. So that would have changed everything. But overall, it's a pretty standard playoff structure. I don't think anyone's going to really have problems with it. When you go to a 20-team league, I would like to see them expand it a little bit. I may like to see... Uh, Possibly two wild cards introduced, and then you have a sort of a wild card play-in or something like that. Uh, obviously, having six teams in a playoff, it gets really sloppy because then you have that buys and everything, and it's just, it really is tough to work. I'd like to see something, though, if you do actually make it to 20, just kind of expand the postseason. And if you add an extra week onto the season, players are going to like it because they're going to get more time, more footage to show to coaches and affiliate teams, which is always good to have. The more and latest film you have, the better. That's what coaches want to see. Obviously, they'll also probably get another paycheck in there, too. As for the actual teams and stadiums themselves, they're probably not having anything scheduled that week anyway, and that's another week's worth of revenue. I can imagine that it's terribly expensive to operate a stadium, especially if you, uh, during a playoff run, you still probably have a couple of interns around to run things. It's probably as like, uh, hectic as all can be behind the scenes, but as far as cost goes, I'd all imagine it's terribly much, at least on that angle. So I'd like to see that kind of extended, but you know, that's just so, so and so. Wondering how travel is going to break down and how everything's going to work. Rest assured that all 14 teams are going to wind up playing each other. Rockland will play the other 13 teams. New Jersey will play the other 13 teams. Evansville and Juliet will play the other 13 teams. That's going to happen. Doesn't matter. Uh, however, you will only travel to 11 teams. Every team is going to host 11 other teams. So basically, two teams will not go to you or you will go to them. Uh, it's going to break down like this. You're going to play 12 teams or 12 games against five teams. So that's three or four series you're going to play against a certain opponent. And then you're going to play four teams six times. So that's two series against them. And then you're going to play three teams three times. So if you break that down... Uh, it's going to be, uh, you have 60-84, and it works out to 90-some-odd games. 
Most games will be played in division, though, so you're not going to be crossing over too many times. I imagine the uh, 5 and 12 deal is going to be for the other side of the bracket. You will play all of those kind of far away teams for that bit. And most of these are going to be uh, large road trips, I imagine. Some teams will be flying, though. If you're like Gateway, your odds are going to wind up flying to Quebec. I know Evan Stoll said they're going to fly out to uh, to Canada and the further east locations. They're not going to take the 19-hour bus ride. Uh, I imagine the bus ride hours are going to be capped at probably around double digits, so probably around 9, 10 hours max, and then we're going to get into flying. Now, granted, you're going to get the most complicated, long-ass roundabout flight that has 15 different connections and takes you the longest way possible, but you're still going to fly, which off the bat is better than being on a bus for 19 hours. Other news coming out from the merger, uh, we don't have any all-star game yet, and salary cap is still to be determined. I imagine we'll get that as it kind of filters through. Uh, we'll keep checking with our sources to see if we have or get any more information. We are also talking with the Frontier League themselves to try and get more information out of them so we have an official thing as opposed to going through sources. But whenever a whenever you're trying to get information from a team or a league itself, odds are you're not going to get the whole unbiased truth or you're not going to admit to anything. I mean, we asked a week before the merger was announced, point blank to both the Can-Am and the uh, Frontier Leagues, is there a merger? And we were told outright, no, there is not a merger from the one league. And the other side was, we're open to, we want to work with them again in the future, but we don't have any plans to merge as of right now, which, you know, that was a lie. You know, you got to take it for what it is. Moving from there, I think now we can kind of take a shift over to the next topic on the, on the docket here as we're at the half hour mark and go to the Ottawa sale. Uh, as we were talking about a bit earlier, Ottawa got sold. So the champions are no longer Miles Wolf's team. However, there is a contingency. If a deal with the city is not worked out, then uh, the seal will fall through. In any case, it was sold on Wednesday, just hours after the merger went through. So some say there's a bit of a uh, conspiracy going on there that Wolf tried to play both sides and tried to leverage his way to a better deal. I don't necessarily believe that. I think he was just trying to play hot potato and then eventually when he saw the merger was done and he wasn't a part of it he just said I gotta get rid of it now I think that deal was always kind of close to the finish line I think when he got win the merger though I think he just kind of said I gotta take a deal because right now if I don't take this deal we're up the creek without a paddle as we mentioned last week and the weeks prior Roy Rob Laveau and Fred Sagabini are the three primary owners, all of them local area businessmen. So far, it appears that Laveau is going to be the speaking man for them. However, Abode is the, uh, it seems like he's the primary money behind the team. He's the uh, financial planner. So I assume that means he has the most cash and the most capital that he's going to put into the stadium. No terms from this deal that were announced, like I said, are pending a lease with the city. And they said that they have multiple leagues lined up, multiple potentials lined up for 2020 and beyond. I'm not sure how much I buy that. I'm not really sure what other leagues there are that are going to take them. The Atlantic League, I want to say, learned their lesson with New Britain in that you just don't toss a team in there willy-nilly. And I trust Ashmore's reporting, too, to say if there's going to be bringing a traveling team in, then they're going to be bringing a traveling team in. I don't think they're going to be bringing in 
the Ottawa champions for a year. Because it would be for only a year unless they feel really good about Pawtucket, which I can't imagine they're feeling. That's still up in the air too, by the way, which we'll have to check in on next week. But I can't imagine what other leagues they're talking about. Uh, the American Association would have been one if OSEG with the, uh, with the Cats in there would have been, would have won that bid. Seeing as Cats already owns the Golden Eye, so it would have made sense to put them both in the same league. You could have had a Canadian rivalry going there. But with him not being the owner, it is a bit, it leaves it kind of open to interpretation as to what other leagues there could be. I don't see them dropping down. I don't see any other leagues forming right away. So I'm curious to see what their 2020 plans are if they do get this lease agreement done. Speaking of the OSEG plus Cats group, they're still vying for this. They're not out of it yet. They said that they know the criteria and it's very rigorous for a lease. So they're saying with the rigorous criteria expected on the next lease, uh, they're not, they're not falling out of this yet. They're still waiting. They're, they're almost waiting for this lease deal to fall through and then them to jump in and then get a deal done. So that will be interesting to watch there. Although city officials do recognize the last lease that was in place, it was extremely unfair to the team. So this one's going to be a bit more, I don't want to say generous, but a bit fairer, I suppose, for each side. And hopefully it will work out in the end there. Let's see if we have anything else to add. Oh, yes. Also, the champions still owe almost half a million dollars Canadian on that property in the utility bills and back rent. So that's going to be something that the ownership groups are going to have to handle as well. All in all, this is a situation that's still very, very new, very much developing. I'm going to be very intrigued to see how this works out. I would have liked to see them in the Frontier League. I think this would have definitely helped them and definitely would have said, oh, we'll look into expanding. I know I've heard a lot of talk about London, Ontario, and with Ontario specifically being cited as a potential place to expand to for the Frontier League, uh, that could have been a really nice thing. You could have really built a Canadian section, actually, and could have gotten a, a whole Canada division going, but but that's not looking like that's going to happen. And like I said, we really don't know anything until there's, a, until there's at least signed. Until then, we're just really waiting on that situation to develop. So now we're going to kind of shift to the T-Bones who also had their deal sold. They were evicted on Monday, had a sale put through on, I believe it was Wednesday. This whole situation fell very quickly. I first reported that they're saved when they were evicted because the American Association said there's a sale that's close to being done, which then wasn't close to being done because they were evicted and then it was finished. But let's just kind of dive into it. The T-Bones were bought by Max Fun Entertainment Limited Liability Corporation, or LLC, whichever you prefer. The group is led by Mark Brandmeier. He's a local area guy. He is a, a very wealthy man who will be able to provide for this team. And the terms of the agreement that he signed. The first bit here is kind of mind-blowing to me that they didn't have this in place with the uh, previous ownership group, which is still on the hook for a decent chunk of money, uh, about $300,000. Brandmeier here is not going to be on the hook for, so good for him. But a uh, $100,000 letter of credit is going to be first and foremost here. So this is similar to what was in Ottawa. This is what uh, Miles Wolf had to um, relinquish to the city a while back in June when his lease got terminated. So Brandmeier is basically agreeing to that. He's going to have a five-year deal, so this is going to be good till 2025. If you're a T-Bones fan, you're safe until then, and there's also a three-year or the deal also has a three five-year renewal, so every five years it can be renewed. So this is up to a 20-year deal, which if everything goes well, I can't see it not being renewed. 
Also, as an agreement to spend $500,000 in capital investments to the stadium. We'll get into the specifics of that, but that's essentially uh, infrastructure upgrades. That's adding things like bars and and uh, amenities and things that add value to the property that are permanent solutions. These aren't, uh, this isn't just a coat of paint, a new field type of improvement. This is, we're adding a music stage and a playground and a mini golf course and a zip line through the ballpark type thing. They also have to share expenses with the city for the first year, and they will pay all utilities beyond that point. So after the first year, instead of it being shared, they're going to take on all the utilities, they're going to cover all the operating expenses, they're going to pay a 50, 50 cent tax on every ticket that's sold to the stadium. That tax will be used though to cover upgrades to the ballpark, also, they're going to pay taxes on an adjacent parking lot that is used for the uh, used for the games. They will not pay a monthly rent, though, and the unified government will give them a one million dollar star bond to help cover the cost of upgrades to the ballpark. So essentially, it's one point five million dollars in upgrades going to Just Bats Field at T-Bone Stadium. I saw some people not happy at the one million dollar star bond. My response to that is. You're a fairly large American city. A million dollar bond is not really that much money in the long scheme of things. I mean, if you think of the cost, if you think of what a million dollars can buy, it can buy you a lot of things and it certainly is life changing money to an individual. But to a city, they spend a million dollars in about six hours. That's really not terribly much. I mean, if you think of your local city government, like your local city hall, odds are the employees there will all mount up to a yearly salary of easily over half a million if it's a large American city. If you just think of trash collection on any given day, it's easily over a million dollars. It's not really terribly much money, plus this money was already put aside. This was going to be used earlier to help upgrade the stadium, however, when they had their uh, previous ownership there that wasn't paying to the payment plan that was agreed upon, they withheld the money. Uh, They being the unified government, they withheld that money from that ownership group as uh, they said, you're not paying us, so we're not going to help you out. Which, fair enough. Now, the rumored improvements, these are actually really cool, and if they put them in, I will take a trip out to Kansas City just to see these things. Uh, supposedly, they're going to be putting in a sports bar, restaurants, a sand volleyball court, or beach volleyball for us uh, coastal folk. As I've never heard it called sand volleyball, I've only ever heard it called beach volleyball. Uh, in any case, pickleball courts and an outdoor music stage. All of this, this sale, this lease, this everything here was approved by the unified government in a 9 to 1 vote. The one descending vote basically said, I would just like to see us do a little bit more research into the guy. I would like this to be a bit more thorough, but it didn't seem like it was uh, dead set against the idea altogether. It seems like it was a matter of, uh, I just want us to make sure we're doing enough of our due diligence and I think we're moving a bit too quick. Which, fair enough, there should always be one person that acts as the brake to slow down the train. Like I said, the former owners, the the Earhart's, uh, they still own about $300,000. <clears> the team is not responsible for that money, by the way. That is the former ownership that is responsible for that money. The T-Bones did announce, though, that the new ownership will pay back the vendors. So they're going to take on the debt that was owed to the, den- to the vendors, so the people that were providing... A lot of the game day stuff, so if there was tents needed for pop-up events, 
uh, vendors probably provided that. They'll pay them. They'll pay the uh, probably the company that provided concessions, the company that the companies that uh, provided uh, merchandise and things that they were selling. Basically, any third party is a vendor, uh, or a third party that provides something to the ballpark is a vendor. So they will take on those debts and pay them back. A very smart move by Brand Meyer. He can afford to do this, and he's doing this to repair relationships. He is going to be able now to continue to use those companies. And by continuing to use those companies, he's able to tell which ones worked, which ones didn't keep using them. And it just is a good business decision to repair any bridges you can afford to repair. Always do that when possible. And then the final news on the T-Bones is that Mike Perry will take over as the team president. Adam Iheart, the son of the owner, was the former team president and is now out of that position. Uh, only thing left to make this official is a... Uh, a formality of a vote by the American Association. However, like I said, it's more or less a formality at this point that this thing will be approved. There's already a lease in place. There's everything in place. It just needs to be a rubber stamp. We have one last major thing to cover, and that is the Baseball America article. Uh, I only came across this when it came across my feed yesterday, and let's just say it's a whole, it's a huge article. The basic summary of it, and I did tweet this article out, I tweeted out some thoughts on it too yesterday, so definitely check that out on the Twitter feed, at IndieBallPod on Twitter. Essentially, it's saying that Major League Baseball wants Minor League Baseball, the affiliated leagues, MILB, to restructure itself in a way that would cut about 40 Minor League teams. I believe the exact number is 42. It will mostly be lower level, so short season A-ball teams. You'll see a lot of teams go from having multiple short season A clubs, rookie ball teams, your double, your triple A, your single A clubs to just kind of going to a standard triple A, double A, single A affiliate system, a much more streamlined system, which is the point of it. This is mainly done to improve travel. So they wanted a lot closer teams. I saw, I believe it was the Green Monster on Twitter. He's always great interaction with saying it seems like a lot of these teams are going to be awfully close. And well, that's exactly the point. Major League Baseball wants to cut down on travel as much as possible for their affiliates. I suppose uh, the experience the Mets had having their AAA team in Las Vegas, and now that the Nationals have having their AAA affiliate affiliate out in, I believe, it's Fresno, is not something Major League Baseball wants to see happen. I don't think they're exactly thrilled about this. I think they want everything to be nice and local. I think they want to kind of try and develop those local fan bases more, too, with this. Because keep in mind, Major League Baseball always has this attendance problem. I know the business angle of this isn't terribly interesting to a lot of people, but some people are going to be enthralled with this, and it's something I'm actually very interested in. So I'm going to go down the rabbit hole on it. So to kind of help that growing attendance problem, I assume their goal is to go, okay, well, if we kind of build a fan base for these players specifically, these local guys will be able to watch them as their journey to the Major League Baseball. So you can go and... Uh, I think an example will help prove my point better. Essentially, let's say you're a Yankee fan. You have an awesome prospect, top 100 guy, awesome personality and everything. However, if you live nearby, maybe you're not able to go watch them. Let's say for some reason their double-A team winds up moving to, I don't know, let's say Western Pennsylvania and their triple-A team for some reason moves out to Maine. If you're a local Yankee fan, you're not going to be able to go from the Bronx to Western PA and then up to Maine to watch these guys. However, if you centralize everything, 
and you have two teams in, say, New Jersey or a team in New Jersey and on Long Island, you can watch this guy from when he first gets drafted or signed. His whole journey through AA, his whole journey through AAA, and then when he's in pinstripes. That's their goal. Also, they're saying the facilities aren't good enough, but at the same time, I have very little sympathy there for uh, multi-billion dollar corporations, which is what these major league teams are. You guys could afford to not only pay the players, which is one thing you should do, they cannot live off of, you know, 15 grand for a season if you want these guys to be the backbone of your organization for the next 20 years, you should be paying them a livable wage so they can strictly focus on baseball and giving them the best facilities possible. Because keep in mind, the minor league teams are getting maybe two years, two and a half tops out of these guys. So that's why they're not going to invest heavily in these facilities because it's not going to pay off for them. And they're not doing anything in the way of recruiting these players. You're going to have to deal with that. Long and short is for the, uh, or my kind of general point here with this article is you're going to, the Major League Baseball wants to streamline everything, get them trampled down, and increase these facilities, make the facilities better, which I commend them on that, but at the same time, just pay for them yourselves. You all can afford it. There's no Major League owner that can't. There are just a lot of Major League owners that are too cheap to. This presents a really interesting possibility because you can see a lot of these kind of single A, double A markets that we're going to be left behind because they can't uh, live up to the current standard as it is that Major League Baseball wants to enforce. And these te- these markets are going to be empty now because they're going to move these teams out. They're just going to fold them. And if they're going to fold these markets, I saw some article the Carolina League may be in danger in a heartbeat. I promise you, every independent league team is going to be scrambling. It's going to be like the California Gold Rush to get in these markets. Like, I don't think Myrtle Beach will ever, you know, be in danger. I think that market makes way too much money. But if that stadium ever opened up, I guarantee you the Atlantic League would be there the next day. The second that Frank Bolton got wind of it, he'd be flying down the next flight down to Myrtle Beach and making phone calls and on the whole way there and getting a meeting with the mayor of Myrtle Beach, getting a meeting with the stadium owners, they'd be getting everything in order. And this is going to be repeated across dozens of minor league markets if this happens. Obviously, I'm not rooting for this to happen simply because a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. Both staff, players, coaching, then just regular game day ops people. A lot of people are going to lose their jobs if this goes through, and I don't want that. But if it does, you're going to see a golden age of independent league baseball. Really interesting part of this is the 2019 Independent League Baseball Organization of the Year, the St. Paul Saints, and your Atlantic League runner-up, Sergey Lanskiages, were named in this article as possible markets that be invited to go to affiliated baseball. St. Paul has been approached on this in the past, and every time they had not uh, they had not taken up the offer, they've been happy with where they were at. Sugar Land, I think this is the first time they're being offered, but assume, assuming it'd be uh, St. Paul going to the Twins, the Astros taking the skiers. Both ballparks are up to snuff. The facilities are very nice. They're both fairly new ballparks. One opened in 15, I believe, and the other one opened in, I want to say, 2013. However, don't quote me on that one. So they're very new ballparks. They're very up to date, and it makes a lot of sense. And if they get that offer, it makes absolutely no sense to stay in independent league baseball. They're going to draw in a lot more fans. They're going to make a lot more money if they jump to affiliated ball. And it's going to be a huge loss to the indie ball community. So while we could see this whole whole golden age panning out, and 
like I said earlier, you could see leagues, like I teased earlier rather, you could see leagues pop up in these, you know, have 40 markets that are going to be open. You could easily see a 10 team, 15 team league pop up in these former, uh, former single and double A markets. You could easily see that. And hopefully that would give these 30 year old players that are now kind of, uh, back against the wall here a place to go. Now, granted, this one go through till 2021, so anything anything can happen till then. But still, if you lose St. Paul, you lose one of the cornerstone organizations, one of the true pillars of independent league baseball, and that is a major loss for independent league baseball. You cannot lose St. Paul. Sugarland, I think Sugarland would be a torpedo hole in the side of the Atlantic League, and would definitely be a black eye for independent league baseball in general, but I think it's something that we could, generally speaking, overcome. St. Paul is one of those teams that I just don't think they could. I think the whole system would really be in jeopardy if St. Paul leaves. And I, that's really all I have to say on the matter here. I have to look into it a lot more to really talk more so on this topic in general here, but I, I definitely wanted to bring it up on this episode. And I'm going to leave this off with the last one. In the middle of the week, the 24th, I believe it is, so... I believe Thursday, either Thursday or Saturday, we're going to see an announcement from Somerset, something relating to their next 20 project. And it's going to be some sort of a legacy thing. I can't tell if it's going to be a ballpark engagement. It's going to be a team initiative of some sort. I don't know what specifically. I'm going to do digging on it, though, to try and figure that out and hopefully have something out on it before their announcement and beat them to the punch. However, that's all I have for now. Thank you for joining us here on episode number 34 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I apologize for being a solo episode, but like I said, co-host is sick, and you can't force him to do the show when he's sick. Hopefully he gets better, and hopefully he's back for next week. I apologize for coughing throughout this and the uh, dozens of rough cuts that are going to be in here because of it. But uh, we need to get a show out, and I'm the only man left to do it, so you got to deal with the coughing like you've had to deal with for the past uh, couple of weeks. Hopefully the cough will go away fairly soon, though. Uh, we'll get our plugs and then get out of here. You can find us on Twitter at Indie Ball Pod. You can <clears throat> you can find us on Instagram at Indie Ball Report. On the website at IndieBallReport.com. All our articles, the recent video that just went up today, on um, which is a simple, basic, streamlined breakdown of the merger. That is on there, as well as the article that will be going up hopefully this week, if not the very early part of next week, on uh, eight possible expansion locations. Hint, hint, there's one in New Jersey and another one in the Midwest. I'm not going to give you specifics, but you should know them. More so than that, uh, you should take a look at everything on the website. It's all good stuff. Obviously, the YouTube channel where the actual video is posted. And with all those plugs being done, you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, really anywhere you can get uh, podcasts or on there with the glaring exception being Google, because we're figuring that out still. Uh, with all that being said, nothing else left to add. Be sure to rate and review the show on all those podcatchers, and like we end every show, don't forget to play ball. <laughs> <laughs>